My name is Tom Hanks. And I feel grand about being Conan O'Brien's friend. <laughs> Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell, brand new shoes, walking blues, climb the fence, books and pens. I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Yes, I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Hello, Conan O'Brien here. Welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, or as we've been calling it this summer, Summer S'mores and the Chill Chums. Uh, people seem to be enjoying this complete nonsense. Uh, you guys have been having a good time with this, aren't you? Gorley, uh, Sona, you having a good oh, time with- man, I'm loving it. Yeah, and it's and it's Summer S'mores with Conan and the Chill Chums because you're not a chill chum. That's right. Yeah, you're the opposite of a chill chum. You're neither chill nor a chum. You're a That's true. anxious, neurotic chum. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an anxious, neurotic, uh, type A freak who uh, you two coast behind. That must be nice. You're uh. using, you get to be chill chums because I'm so not a chill chum that I- No, no. It should be summer s'mores with uh, Sona, Matt, and the uptight enemy. Yes. <laughs> Okay. Yes. Doesn't really roll off the tongue. It doesn't. <laughs> no. Uh, but, you know, I'm excited because this is a very- special edition. In fact, I would say this is an interruption of Summer S'mores and the Chill Chums, wouldn't you? Yes. Well-deserved. Mm -hmm. A well-deserved interruption. Uh, you know, many of you probably think, oh, Conor O'Brien, he won't be talking to any famous people this summer, just Sona and Matt. Oh, well, guess, God. Well, I hear that a lot, on the a lot of people on the street. I hear them muttering. Oh, <laughs> no famous people, huh? Well, guess what? <laughs> Does that also include you? I know. Yeah. <laughs> no famous people. <laughs> no, I am. Uh, I'm delighted because uh, we're going to have a, a little break from Conan and the Chill Chumps because <laughs> today we have, uh, I think, one of the biggest and best stars in the world joining us on the podcast. Pause. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Wait. It probably just comes up. Doesn't it come up anyway who it is? It's no surprise. Yes, it does. So what a big crock of shit that I'm going to act like this is a big surprise because I just realized that it says, it says Tom Hanks is on the show. In fact, it's never a surprise because when I do the TV show, it says before I even walk out who the guest is. So I've never been able to unveil a surprise in my entire fucking life. I know. And don't wow. we start the episode with Tom Hanks going, yes. hello, my name is Tom Hanks. Oh, that's yeah. right. You always act yeah. like, oh my God. You always act like, oh, now you've figured out who it is in my intro. It's like, yeah, they listened to the beginning of the episode. They've been notified at least three times. Yeah. At this, point. <laughs> this is humiliating. It is. No, it also you. is an interesting window into, honestly, how little I understand about podcasts, which I think everyone knows. But also, you may not know this, I don't listen to the podcast. I love making them, but I don't like the sound of my voice, uh, and I don't listen to the podcast. If I heard the podcast, I would probably run from the room. That's just my thing. So I, I don't listen to them. So I don't know. I thought I was being all coy. Ooh, guess who we have? Well, it starts with a T. And it ends with an H. No, it's not Todd Hansen of the Hansen Brothers. Is there a Hansen brother named Todd? No. Sure. Okay, okay. No. why not? Please. There isn't. How do you know? I'm pretty sure I know. Yeah, there's Taylor, there's Zach, and then there's Shit. That's a terrible name for a Hanson brother. <laughs> shit Hanson? Yeah. No wonder Shit Hanson never 
Hi, I'm Taylor. Hey, I'm Zach. Hey, I'm shit. <laughs> In his defense, though, he was the cute one. Yeah. He was. Shit, handsome. <laughs> my apologies to the Hanson brothers, who I, wonderful guys, and, and my special apology to shit Hanson. Uh, <laughs> anyway, the point I'm trying to make is that here I am trying to unveil who are, it's Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. What? Yes. <laughs> Tom Hanks is here. I'm delighted to have Tom Hanks here. What a fantastic guest. Isaac. What? Isaac. Isaac Hansen? Yeah. Isaac Taylor and Zach. Yeah. I think there's a fourth Hansen brother, shit Hansen. They let him break down the equipment after the after the gig. <laughs> anyway, shout out to the Hansen brothers. Very nice guys. Uh, they run, uh, they joined me on stage 10 years ago. A lot of fun. In Tulsa. In Tulsa. That's right. You were there. Mm-hmm. Feeling no pain, if you know what I mean. <laughs> no, what do you mean? Heavy drinker. Anyway. Okay. Keep edibles drinker. Continue. All right. Edibles. The Hansons saw you drunk. Anyway. <laughs> even shit Hanson was disgusted. <laughs> shit Hanson pointed to Sona and said, I feel bad for her. <laughs> when shit Hanson is judging you. When shit Hanson is judging you, you know things are bad. Uh, I'm thrilled he's here. My guest today. Shit Hanson? No. <laughs> That's our guest next week. My guest today is one of the <laughs> biggest actors of our time. I'm going to say any time, all time. He's a two-time Academy Award winner, and you know him from such films as Forrest Gump, Saving Private Ryan, Philadelphia, A League of Their Own, and Toy Story, and a million other great films. Now you can see him in the new movie, Greyhound, oh. which I saw last night. And I shit you not, Hanson, it is fantastic. <laughs> I uh, can't wait for no, it. No, it is really yeah. good. It was right up my alley. My son and I watched it, and it's uh, it. My our hearts were in our throats the whole time. It's great. Now you can see him in the new movie, Greyhound, which will be available on Apple TV Plus this Friday, and you have to see it. I am thrilled he is with us today. Consummate uh, gentleman. And fantastic person, Tom Hanks. I have been taking some elocution lessons because I'm, I'm trying to have somebody finally respect me. And uh, I find nothing, nothing makes that happen faster than an effective speech pattern. So yeah. anything, I can't wait for the end of this podcast <laughs> so that I can go have lunch. <laughs> it's a little, uh, it's some Catherine Hepburn and some Franklin D. Roosevelt. That's, I'm going for that, for that. Uh, what accent did Cary Grant speak with? I mean, I don't want to throw this back into you know, like Turner Classic Movies podcast here, but you know, Cary was, you know, that the people don't really talk like that now, unless they, unless they go to school in England for a semester, then they come back, <laughs> and they come back talking that way. <laughs> I think Madonna spoke that way for about eight years, and then it it, it disappeared for reasons we don't understand. Uh, but I don't know. I don't think I think it was a completely invented accent. Cary Grant had right. They, was, wouldn't they call it like mid mid Atlantic? You know. Yes, mid Atlantic, mid Atlantic. I think, but a, a totally hokey accent. I don't think I've heard anyone else speak that way. And, and also, who spoke like John F. Kennedy before or after John F. Kennedy? And I grew up born in the same town as John F. Kennedy, and I grew up Irish Catholic in that yeah, you area. Don't, you don't sound that way. I have never heard anybody talk that way. <laughs> and it, it, it's insane. And I, and I think people just accepted it. But I don't believe anybody else spoke that way in, the, in, in his generation. I think he was I do not person. believe anyone spoke with vigor. <laughs> <laughs> this, 
<laughs> this is the malady. malady. Yes. Not melody, malady. Malady. <laughs> we need to speak with more vigor. Yeah. And there's a certain cadence to it that is rising and falling and then is punctuated at moments and we will do it. Which <laughs> I will admit to you right now, Conan, that I myself, at times, at podiums, have fallen into myself. <laughs> Speaking on issues as cheesy as the great Chevy dealerships of San Antonio who have bestowed upon me this great honor. You can't help it. it just It's just like what you're used to in a lot of ways. It's what you do. Over the years, many times during a monologue, if the crowd's really good, I'll just go into, and we we can do better. <laughs> of course, the 25-year-olds I'm talking to don't know what I'm No, I'm no, they that don't. Way. And again, not to get too Turner Classic movie on this, but that, that speech pattern was the reason Von Meter had the greatest year of his life. Uh, if you don't know who Von Meter is, I don't oh want to go into it. Well, I'll quickly explain. He uh, was an impressionist who did, I think, one impression, yes. which was an amazing John F. Kennedy impression, which was... Really funny and probably one of the biggest hits in the country uh, on record and radio uh, right up until John F. Kennedy was killed. And then suddenly his, you know, no one wanted now, to hear that. Do anymore. you not take, so. is this not a tale of a cautionary tale for anybody in show business? And because uh, the, I remember listening to that record with my dad, you know. The only other record he ever bought in his life was Burl Ives' greatest hits, you know, and suddenly, suddenly we're listening to a comedy record, you know, at my aunt's house before the Beatles are on TV. And, um, and uh, uh, the, this, we, we actually, we, we've, uh, we've sort of like experimented possibly with trying to, trying to do a story on that and make a movie out of it because he had a year at the absolute top of show business. Couldn't have been bigger. Yeah, Couldn't have yeah. been more in demand. And maybe you, your crack team of show business um, uh, researchers can, t can answer this question for me. Because I always heard this story. John F. Kennedy is assassinated. The weekend that it happens, there is a huge uh, snowstorm, freak snowstorm in New York City. But Lenny Bruce is going to be performing at Carnegie Hall the weekend of John F. Kennedy's assassination. And there isn't a human being that, first of all, doesn't stay home the day that Kennedy right. is assassinated and then doesn't go out the next night because they're just dealing with an impossible amount of grief. And everybody right. in New York City, particularly with tickets to the Carnegie Hall that night, is wondering what in the world is Lenny Bruce going to say about the assassination of yes. John F. Kennedy? And the story is he came out and every, you know, ladies and gentlemen, the comedy stylings of Lenny Bruce, vigorous applause, long pause. And then Lenny Bruce says, Von Meter is screwed. Now, oh my the gosh. question I have for Adam and Joanna and Aaron and Team Coco and Jim Samples, the entire Anyone peanut gallery here yeah, yeah. is, did he say screwed? Or was there an F-bomb that was dropped there? It's coming up as Von Meter is fucked. Oh, there you go. Boy, is Von yeah. Meter fucked. Now, that's on Wikipedia. Well, you got to trust that, don't you? <laughs> I don't know. He said fucked in Carnegie Hall in 1963. I'm finding that very hard to believe. Uh, I know it's Lenny Bruce, but also on the on the right on the heels of of Kennedy's killing. But I'm also seeing screwed here too on I can't believe the internet is arguing with itself. <laughs> <laughs> this might be the first example. 
of the internet uh, having a squabble with itself. Um, you know, there's a couple of things I, I have to ask uh, Tom, which is, first of all, how are you? Oh, How's your yeah. health? Because I haven't, I have not spoken to you since you and uh, and your lovely wife contracted right. coronavirus. The whole country knew that you guys were ill. And uh, I've I've followed like everyone else your progress and that you're you're doing better. But well, how do you it's, feel? it was interesting to find ourselves the celebrity canaries in a coal mine. That was, uh, <laughs> and I, you know, at one point I was saying, "Honey, why didn't we parlay this into some reality show that we could have really made some good <laughs> good e channel money off of? We could have. We got an iPhone. We could have followed each other around the apartment there for a while, slapped on some commercials, cut to it, and uh, get a nice sure. check. We were in Australia. Yeah. You know, Australia is the size of the United States and it has the population of California. So it's actually a long necklace of a lot of people living on the two coastlines. And they and it's an island nation. So they know exactly who comes in, who comes out, what plane they were on, what ship they were on. So they were really on top of everything about COVID. Actually, they they had told us about COVID down there in February, and we were tested on May 11th. So they were on. They were really on top of mm. it. So they put us. Uh, they put us in the hospital, uh, and literally like Andromeda strain version of the hospital. I mean, you know, they had everything but those robotic arms. You know, that would unscrew caps for right, us and right. stuff on the other side of glass. They were they were doing that to keep an eye on us um, to, for our own health uh, in case our fever spiked, our hearts went kablooey, our lungs filled up, which did not happen. We, we had varying degrees of discomfort, but really they also put us in isolation so that we would not give the COVID to anybody else. That was, that was the other side of it. And um, after the two weeks that we were down there, I got over my crippling body aches that, were, that hurt, mm-hmm. incredible fatigue and inability to concentrate on anything for more than 90 minutes. Which was tricky wow. because that is my natural state. I mean, you know. <laughs> as a matter of fact, I'm going to top out here in about another half hour, guys. And I'm not going to know. What um, and Rita, Rita had some much more physiological. She she had bad nausea, and she was she she lost her sense of taste and smell. So we kind of like complimented each other in in those. And then we were we were okay. And we eventually came back to the lockdown and everything that was going on and social distancing, what have you. And we had since been all right. So this I don't I don't mean to be a harbinger. I'm not as as so many people in diocese at uh, you know podiums now say. Well, now I'm not a scientist. I, I'm not a I'm right, not a doctor, right. of course. But here's what I think: we were tested positive for the antibodies meaning we have good stuff in our plasma. Because of our different travel histories, I was able to go and give my, my plasma, my plasma chock-a-block with uh, antibodies. I did it, was able to do it twice, and they can take those, that plasma, and I, my understanding is, and again, I'm not a doctor or a scientist, um, they were able to give those to as many as four people who were suffering the more serious aspects of the COVID-19. So possibly helping them out. Evidence, evidence shows that it's, uh, that it's possible to be a great ad. Now, but since then, I have heard from the very same doctor who took those tests. I go, <laughs> you, you, really, <laughs> you really want this text from a doctor at a world-renowned medical right. facility that says to you, hey, Tom, looking forward to seeing you again. Listen, if you want to know about the new research against your antibodies, I can fill you in, parentheses, hint, 
it's not good news. <laughs> close <laughs> close parentheses. So I'm waiting to find out if, uh, you know, uh, the more uh, as, as the journey continues on with all of this stuff is what's the what's the latest scoop? What is he implying you could have? Yeah, come back uh, the implication. And I've, I've read this in some other circumstances. You know, again, I just I just hey, I just watch the same TV shows you do uh, on Tiger King. They said that the COVID-19 <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's possible there was a scene in Oak. Ozark, where um, they made mention that maybe the antibodies don't linger as long to the point of uh, uh, complete uh, immunity from it. So, we- yeah, I've been watching uh, exclusively the Munsters and the Love Boat, and there's no mention of COVID, which makes me think. Are you kidding? Over- Al, Grandpa Lewis didn't have anything to say about sucking blood and what might be inside. Might be inside the blood. I know you're an old TV fan. I know that you go back and watch those shows. I do wonder. not, sir. I must say. Oh, you must. You I know. Must. I've given. I've given up on that. I realize that. Okay, I'm, I'll be 64 in about another week or so. Conan, I'm on the back nine. I don't. <laughs> I, I, I don't need to go. And you know, I'm not going to take a mulligan on the third hole now. I, I've, I've done it. Got it. And you know, quite frankly, after the opening title sequences of any of those old shows, I'm not yes. really that much involved in the drama. <laughs> that well, is, you're a, that is coming all I have along. to say is you're a fool. Uh, the the later Lost in Spaces, oh. uh, where where <laughs> where Jonathan Harris as Dr. Zachary Smith decides to take the series in a completely different direction is some of the best TV viewing to this day and will cure you of any disease, I promise you. Okay, (laughs) first of all, this might be why you're why your career is cratering down to the level of podcast now, Conan. <laughs> the other aspect of it, the, the, uh, when it comes, okay, this, this, is, this is the sum total of my nostalgia TV. If by happenstance I come across an old uh, Burt Ward, Adam West, Batman yes, episode, yes, yes. the only reason I will watch it to its conclusion is if it's a villain that I had somehow missed in its first incarnation, uh-huh. I've seen Mr. Freeze. I've seen false face. I've seen, um, the mad hatter. Right. Um, I've seen, of course, the Joker and the penguin and the Riddler and right. the Catwoman. I've seen the Beatles, uh, on the, on, on the, the big four, but unless it's somebody I didn't see the siren, you yep. know who the siren was? Yes, it was Joan Collins. Joan Collins, that's right. Who could sing a note that would make <laughs> men lose their memories or something like that. So. Yeah, and it didn't work on Batgirl. It didn't work. Yeah, that's right. Yvonne yeah. Craig, she survived. So yeah, I've seen yeah. it, and that's that's the end of it. I don't need Time Tunnel. I don't need Andy and Mayberry. Every now and again, give me give me 10 seconds of Buddy and Sally uh, on the Alan Brady show there yep, in the yep. writer's room with the piano. But other than that, I got other fish to. I, there's a season of Alone I want to keep oh. up with on, uh, <laughs> yeah, on yeah, the History yeah. Channel. That's good. That's fantastic. No, well, let's let's talk about that because uh, first of all, I uh, I got a link to your film Greyhound uh, last night, and I was told nothing, and I knew nothing. I knew nothing about what to expect. I didn't know what it was about. It could have been about off-track betting. I had no idea. (laughs) I sat down. They gave me a series of codes to execute that was like uh, accessing a a nuclear missile. And it worked? Well, I had my son with me, who's 14 and very tech-savvy, and he helped me, and we got this thing up and running, and we we pulled our... uh, 
that we, you know, close the shades and close the door. And we started the movie and I love it. I absolutely love Greyhound. Uh, it's, it is a fascinating story. It's a great World War II story. It's wonderfully told. And uh, I, I loved you in it. And what I didn't know until I saw the credits when it said written by Tom Hanks. Oh, yeah. We, we slapped that on the end, just, just not to scare the children. Uh, I didn't realize you wrote this. And I've, I've, I've also, I've, as I think I've mentioned to you before, I'm a fan of your writing. I really like your collection of short stories. Uh, I think you're a terrific writer. Was this your first uh, screenplay that I'm aware I wrote of? The, I wrote the screenplay for That Thing You Do. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yep. I wrote the screenplay for Larry Crown. Hold your yep. applause, please. Please, hold your <laughs> we applause. We don't allow, we, we don't allow applause. Thank you, goodness, because so, yeah. the absence of it for Larry Crown really would have hurt my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Although I must say I loved every moment of it. And I, you know, and I, I've written in, uh, I've written on the episodic, some of the episodic stuff. Uh, that, right, right. That, that, that we have done, which is a, a different beast. But I, I. I, I bought I bought the book. This is based on C.S. Forrester's The Good Shepherd is what it's yep. called, and which we could not call it because there's like nine nine movies called The Good Shepherd that is out. And I bought it because of the cover. of uh, It was a used book uh, that I bought from a bookstore that is uh, now out of business in uh, in New York City. And it had a, it had a picture on the cover that that, that sort of broke my heart. It was uh, it was a drawing um, of this aged gray haired beaten up guy who, if I was going to pull him from a, a modern day parlance, he looked like he had the physical demeanor of Donald Trump walking from that helicopter after Tulsa into the White House. Yeah. Tie undone. Yep. Yep. Beleaguered, depressed, down, exhausted. And yet he was on uh, the railing of a ship and there's a ship on the horizon that's burning and there's a there's a guy in a helmet right behind him that's sending a, a signal. And I thought, I don't what wait, what wait, what's that? What what is what's that guy's story? And the book, the, the book is that it's literally it's it's 70. Actually, it's more than 72. Hours. I think it's 72, 40. And it's like four days in the life of this aged a guy who should be retired um, but instead, uh, Pearl Harbor comes along, and so he's not going to get out of the Navy. He's given the command of, uh, of a destroyer that is, because of his seniority, is given command of getting a convoy across the Atlantic. And he spends five days of his life without sleeping, uh, down in coffee and fighting off wolf packs of Nazi subs. And in reading through it, I, uh, it was a procedural. I mean, you know, it was, it was a little mm -hmm. like start, continue finish. That's it. Um, and I had, I ended up learning so many things that I had no knowledge of. Yeah, look, we've all seen the movies, right? Most of our naval, most of our understanding of Navy and ships and combat is actually because of the Starship Enterprise. Helmsman, Mr. Sulu, mm -hmm. navigator, ensign Chekhov, communicator, talker, uh, Lieutenant Uhuru, uh, Confidant, Spock, Mr. Hulu, you have a con, that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's, that's how we know most of our naval battle terminology and geography and, and strategy, which actually helped in the course of reading this book. But then I found out all kinds of, all kinds of other stuff. And as, a, uh, as is, uh, you know, sometimes artistic want, I just started adapting it as a, as a, in a fever dream of wanting to see a movie like this. I worked on it about six years or so. 
and uh, just kept going back and adding. I literally I filled it up. It was like um, it was like a deck of cards that had 260 aces in it. I just you have to I had to take cards out of it in order to make it actually a uh, a landable kind of project that could get could work with a with a director. And Aaron Schneider came on and he just he wanted to shoot and uh, he wanted to test the material. And lo and behold, I, much to my much to my surprise, we were. We were able to make, a, a, are you ready for this? We were able to make a low-budget movie about World War II for a mere $42 million. <laughs> How's that? How's yeah. that? That's Let officially a low-budget movie now. Yeah, and you took 35 off the top. Well, let me tell you now. I work for, I work for, my, I work for my straight fee of 300 bucks a week. I did get free haircuts and sandwiches anytime I wanted to in the course of man, and that's uh, there, there's a lot of there's a that's, and that's my perk package as a whole. I love anything that depicts World War II because I think people forget and they think that it was a foregone conclusion that we would win that war, and they think it's a foregone conclusion that well, yeah, we we kicked those Nazi asses and we won. I love any movie. It's Saving Private Ryan. I think did it really brilliantly too. But this movie shows you. What a hard-fought thing it was, how the technology wasn't that good, how difficult it was. Uh, I think this film takes place right after Pearl Harbor, which there's a whole year there where there's no good news coming out of the Atlantic or Pacific theater. World War II really isn't going that well for us. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, very, uh, it's a very dicey proposition. And that's when this movie takes place. And... I, I so I love my son watching that. Yeah, the book landed on this thing that I keep coming back to again and again, and I use the word stasis to to describe it. This kind of like this, it's this, it's this moment in which nobody has any idea when this is going to end. Cut to COVID nineteen reference here, please. Nineteen forty two, the Nazis have kicked ass everywhere they went. The Japanese empire has done the same. America has yet to win a battle anywhere. And there were sayings uh, amongst anybody who was in the service of um, jokes about when they were going, when it was going to be done. Golden Gate in 48, meaning maybe the war would be over by 1948. There was even a saying, um, uh, get it done in 51, meaning the war yeah. would last 10 years. There is a great writer, um, I'm having a cranial plague. Oh, oh, Alan First, who only only writes novels of espionage in World War II prior to the Nazi defeat in Stalingrad, mm-hmm. because it was not until then that the enemy had proven to be beatable. Right. And as of Stalingrad, which was not until 1942, it wasn't until it wasn't until the 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 the, 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 the Nazis retreated from Stalingrad that there was any clue that the war was going to be winnable by anybody other 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 than them. Um, and you know the, the the same thing happened to a degree in uh, in in the Pacific. So 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 um, Forrester captured this one because not only is it right in the in the in the middle of the beginning of the war in which there's no clue as to when it's going to end or how long it's going to take, who's going to die, who's going to live, but. Uh, uh, Ernie Krauss, who is the captain of, of the Greyhound, he is in the middle of a thing called the Black Pit, which is that part of the North Atlantic in which safety is unreachable on both sides. 
he can't, if he turns around to head back to where he came from, he still has three days of being vulnerable. You can't get air cover. Can't get air cover. You're on your own. You're on your own for about four or five days. And you just hope that you're smart enough and lucky enough um, that you survive. And that, 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 that equipoise, if I'm using the, or equilibrium is constantly, constantly at play there. The stasis between survival and death is literally a decision away from you. And um, if we, that, that's what I loved about uh, uh, the book, because it captured in, in, in the same details of how good a cup of coffee can feel at uh, three o'clock in the morning, or what a few moments of uh, heavy REM sleep on your feet uh, can do for you, can do for your body. And the sun comes up and absolutely nothing's, nothing's different. You're not really that much closer to safety. You're, you you know, you have nothing but uh, a whole, a whole game of life before you. And uh, every turn is a, is a roll of the dice. I cannot recommend this movie enough. It's fantastic. And it's the first, my son turned to me at one point and I think we were only 20 minutes in and he said, it's only been 20 minutes and there's been so much action in the, fr- <laughs> it starts, I mean, it's like you, it, 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 the race starts right away. It's absolutely amazing. It's really- Yeah, uh, we, uh, we decided to, you know, pack as much as we could into 88 minutes as possible. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you liked it. Oh, I didn't just like it. I, I liked it. Uh, a lot. <laughs> well, you know, the, the, the thing we always come around to is, is like the danger of all of this stuff is, are we just making a museum piece here? You know, is it just going to be a thing where you kind of dig the uniforms and the nomenclature and the, and the goofy old telephones? And are we really going to see that bloop, bloop of the radar stuff again? But if you do it, if you do it from a position of no one really knows what's going on and none of this stuff yeah. is guaranteed, it, it, I always like it to see a movie where everybody says, geez, I I wonder what I would have done if I had to have yeah, that job, yeah. you know? The other thing about the Starship Enterprise is it's always the same people on the bridge, you know? Mm-hmm. There's never a there's never a dog watch. There's never a morning watch. It's always the same people. So we went we, we went through this thing. I, I was I was fighting this battle as the cranky actor who just said, um, we have to have four completely different watches, meaning a completely different cast for the four watches every day. Because they rotate. So it's, it's, it's three groups of four guys. You're on for four hours. You're off for eight hours. You're on for four hours. You're off for eight hours. So I kept saying, we, we, we need that many watches. And just as producers would come along, and actually I'm, I'm supposedly one of the producers because it's out of the company. They said, do you know what that's going to do to our scheduling? You know how many actors we have to have on hold in order to do? So I just kept fighting, you know, all right. Can we just have one group that's during battle stations and then two other groups that come in just to mix it up so we get some more faces in there? You end up fighting that kind of like the, oh, all right, it's just a fake movie for crying out loud. We can't be nearly as realistic <laughs> as we want to. <laughs> Dang it, rats. There was, there was, there was one moment, if you watch the movie, there's a moment, it was on the, one of our first days of shooting on the, uh, on the bridge, and it was a new set, and it you know it looks real. It looks like it's made out of you know steel plate. It's not. It's made out of plywood. It looks like. And there is a leak that comes in through the roof of the pilot house, the bridge, and it dribbles down on my little helmet right next to me. And it's like, 
Our sh- our boat is leaking. Is this how fake this movie is? <laughs> we 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 literally we have we have a blemish in our hull that water can get in through this. <laughs> and it's in the movie. I said, "Can you take that? We don't have the special effects budget to remove the leak optically." So uh, a leak comes in on my head as I'm trying to chase. Do you ever think that in your dotage? That began four years ago, yes. Yes, yes. Do you think in your in your late, late life, when, when the mind's really starting to go, that you're going to believe that you fought in World War II? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I really do think you're going to insist on full military oh. honors at your funeral. Things that you think that you're entitled to because you've been in so many of these movies. The, the kids will wheel me off to Point du Hoc in Normandy, and I'll say, yeah, we. I came up the Cliff's right there. That's right. And I'll never forget I squatted here and opened a can of sea rations. (laughs) Nothing ever tasted better. Because I'll tell you, my uh, you have no bigger fan uh, in this world uh, than my father, who adores oh. uh, all of your films, and he is uh, he is uh, he's an elderly gentleman. He's still, I think, quite vain about his age, but uh, he fought. Uh, bravely in the Civil War uh, <laughs> for the right side. I want to get that out there. Um, Took a mini ball in the wilderness. <laughs> yeah, he did. Shattered his femur. Uh, he has watched uh, all, many of you, I think almost every project you've done that's in, in any way involved uh, World War II. He's watched them all. And he is now, as he gets older, my brothers and I talk about this. We're pretty sure he thinks he fought in the war. And he didn't. He was just a little, he was too young. So, well, sometimes he'll say, that was my war. That was my war. And I'll say to him sometimes, you didn't fight in that war. You were in Millbury, Massachusetts. (laughs) And your job was to ride a bicycle every now and then to the power plant to make sure that it was okay at night. Because he was the, he, he and his father used to drive around Millbury to make sure everyone's lights were out. Millbury, Massachusetts. Conan, there are, there are times when I'm on a commuter flight because I have to go from a, press junket in London and I have to fly to to Paris to talk about the Da Vinci Code to the press and on the flight over I'm looking out the window of the plane Sure, I'm seeing Flock Wolves and Messerschmitts come at me. Yes, said, yes. I hope, geez, this is this is my 24th mission. I sure hope we make it <laughs> and get back. Are we at the aiming point yet? I mean, we got to take out that bridge, right? We got to hit those that rolling stockyard there in Bremen or yeah. whatever it is. No, my, my father says that he was convinced as a child that Hitler, throughout the war, my dad was, I don't know, he's like, you know, at the time, I think he was 12 or 13, he was convinced that Hitler thought of little else than the power station in Millbury, Mass, and how, and, and how to get it. I consume massive amounts of war movies, and I do think that uh, when I'm completely senile, I'm going to be insisting that I be buried in Arlington. They're going to say, <laughs> That's right. you're not allowed. That's right. I'll say, I insist. Uh, <laughs> I want to, I want the flag. I want the, the, I the, want the, the I want the taps. I want taps played. I want my kids there to be beside me saying, you know, he's still a hero to us. <laughs> he fought very bravely on film and we that's recognize right. that's right we recognize you don't understand the import of this question how many shots before lunch <laughs> i asked that question many a time <laughs> I know that you 
you don't like to watch yourself, which is so strange because you're one of the few people I can think of that I think just about everybody likes to see show up in a film. You are universally really loved when you show up in a film and you seem to know what to do when you're up there. I am just one fuck you away from blowing that image right off the screen. I'm always aware of that. Always just, why don't you just leave me the fuck alone for three minutes while I finish buying shoes? How about you do that, pal? You're always just one step away from. I'm, I'm hard pressed to think of what you would have to do. I think you'd have to pistol whip somebody, you know, for like 40 minutes. It's of just been really beating on them. I, uh, I, I pistol whip a, a guy who was too slow at a Dunkin' Donuts and. <laughs> You don't like watching yourself. And one thing I can relate to is you don't, you didn't used to like your voice. You really didn't like your voice. Oh, I, no, I, 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 I still don't. I mean, I, I have this kind of like squeaky thing. I can't relate. Yeah. Oh, well, exactly. I mean, I was, I, I was going to make that joke on this podcast. Welcome to Squeaky Voice A Go-Go with Conan O'Brien and his guest Kip from Booze and Buddies. Here we are. <laughs> Wow, it's so great to have oh you. Oh my God, let's get back to Andy's room, everybody. You know, the thing is, when 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 parents are excited to meet me with their kids in elevators, they all say to the kids, "This is Woody. This is Woody. Say hello to Woody." And the kid is looking at this, you know, me, and I'm not Woody. Woody is a right, thing. Right. And they say, and I say, "Close your eyes, kid. Close your eyes." And okay, imagine Woody. And then I speak in my normal voice, and they assume Woody is in the elevator with him. Come on, wow. guys, we got to get back to Andy's room. Their eyes. It is Woody. <laughs> You know, the thing is, first of all, I I don't know how much you look at yourself on, on, uh, you know, on your shows or something. I do not. I've seen me. Uh, You know, I've seen it. There's no surprises there. I don't I don't rush in order to go back. Go back. I think that was me on Cinemax. Oh, look, it's me and Hooch. You know, I don't. Can't say I do that. Can't say I do that. I do remember once uh, being invited uh, to the uh, to have it was a great dinner. I was invited. Regis Philbin or organized a dinner between uh, with Regis, myself, and Jack Parr. Oh I'd never my met God. Jack Parr, and I was in heaven. Jack Parr, the the Tonight Show host uh, oh. before Johnny Carson, and and a really brilliant guy. And so I got to. Regis' house because I was going to ride with him to go meet Jack Parr at this restaurant. And I was so excited and I got there. And this is when Who Wants to Be a Millionaire was really huge. Mm. And yeah, we, it was on uh, like three nights a week, four nights a week. Three nights a week. And I went in and I think Joy said, he'll be right out. He's watching tonight's episode of Who Wants <laughs> to Be a Millionaire. <laughs> and I was like, you've oh, taped it already. Oh, that's He's dedication. Wa- you're you're that? watching yourself say, is that your final answer? And uh, I couldn't. I was. I was stunned. But um, but I guess you know he's a perfectionist. He's the man working hard. He wanted to make sure that uh, that the guy got his money. You know, Conan. There's been times I've done your show, and I know when it's on, and I make sure I'm in transit from one place to another. So I, I, <laughs> there's no way I can accidentally tune into TV and see whether or not we killed together or not, whether or not the bit worked. Uh, yeah, yeah. I leave yeah. it up to the zeitgeist. Somebody else can tell me if it was a decent. Well, it's a different era now, too. There was a- this is this is a this is an absolute true story. All right, I'm not kidding you. I'm not. This is not podcast hyperbole. The very first thing I ever saw on YouTube, this was maybe, I don't know how old YouTube was, but it's, let's say it's in its infancy. We're sitting around the dinner table 
and I got the kids there. And my kids love nothing better than to point out what an absolute idiot and doofus their father is, no, despite everything. And and the con- the conversation came. <laughs> My my older kids made a reference to a video that Danny Aykroyd and I made to a comp to accompany the release of Dragnet, the movie that we made, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to a song called "City of Crime." That was back when, in order to promote a movie, you'd do a video and it would be on Friday night videos or something like that. And so we made a video called "City of Crime." And uh, it was choreographed by Paula Abdul, and we shot it over two days, and it's me and Danny Aykroyd dancing around like our characters. It's one of the worst things that have ever has ever been committed to video. It's uh, it's just <laughs> it's 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 crass. I mean, it's expert in a number of ways because all the dancers, the, the you know, the, the choreography is great. The dancers were real professional. In the meantime. Here's essentially, you know, skinny voice and bug man that are trying to like pretend we know what we're doing. And we were talking about it. And uh, my 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 son at the well, the youngest son, my younger son at the time says, oh, dad, I got to see this. I got to see it. Where is it? I said, oh, it's probably on a VHS cassette somewhere buried down in the basement because I had a copy of it. And lo and behold, my oldest son pulls out his however, the, the laptop or whatever was using at the time and pulled it up on on Facebook, excuse me, YouTube. So the first time I see anything on YouTube, it's one of the most painful show business experiences. <laughs> you know, I've, next, next to that episode of The Love Boat, there's nothing I would love to disappear into the zeitgeist more than, you know, some stuff like this. And it's, it's what I see on YouTube. So I've been against that damn thing ever since. I don't... Uh, <laughs> No, it's uh, it, uh, no crime is forgotten. Oh, no never. crime is forgotten, and it's seconds away, and anyone can watch never it. Never goes away. You know, my awkward interview with Eartha Kitt in 1993 is right there uh, if uh, you want to uh, see it, <laughs> and uh, it live, will live forever. And aliens right now are viewing it. There, over there, there and was over a and period of time where they were taking like extras from the movies that you did, and they would put it on the on the DVDs, you know, in order to say, oh, it's include extras, so you want to get it. And I always think, why in the world would you want that? anybody to see that footage of me stumbling to the set with a cup of coffee i don't please let's burn this let's let's bury it in a vault somewhere no it's everywhere can't escape every sin Uh, we've committed is right there for all to see well very few for me uh really (laughs) some would say a career without a hitch that's right not a bump in the road not a bump in the road as as uh, as as i like when i do your show i love that every seat has a little placard that says conan o'brien finishes every performance with a standing ovation <laughs> so uh, i love that that is guaranteed into every taping of team coco there i think that's a great oh my thing. god yeah yeah the uh the biggest waste of time on television is the undeserved standing ovation well, now, for, that everybody gets now by the honestly, way honestly you know. is there such a thing as the biggest waste of time on television i think that's uh, <laughs> that's deep you're right. there man you're right you're right you're right i apologize i went too far i wanted to briefly mention to people this is an observation i've had i've i met you i think in uh 1988 when i was a punk writer at Saturday Night snl Live. yeah you you were part of the boiler room boys we call i called yeah. you yeah yeah, you had yeah, a you room with Smigel, Greg Daniels, Bob Odenkirk. Bob Odenkirk and you, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, and we uh, you killed guys. There were there were some. I think a couple of shows I did. You guys got like three pieces on the air. Yeah, we did. It was uh, it was a good time, and I remembered uh, always being really excited when you showed up. But you've proven a theory that I had. I noticed it. Uh, I think you were one of the first people. That was my first big gig in television, and uh, I remembered every time that you would host, you would stay up practically all night with the writers. I remember at one point walking through the conference room at night at like three in the morning and you were lying down on the conference table trying to compose a sketch. Now, everybody else, everybody else would dip in and dip out and try and hear what everyone was up to. And then they'd go off to dinner with Lauren and then maybe they'd come back for a little bit. You were alone in your dedication to making it a great show, well, uh, more so than more so than any host uh, while I was there, and I have since told people uh, that you're an example. I think Bruce Springsteen's an example. There's certain people I think of where it's not an accident, but man, I just I, I couldn't believe how hard you worked, and I, I don't know if, I don't know if you still do that. Well, it's a great hang. I mean, I was just trying to get the hang, man. You 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 laugh your head off, you know, when you're there, and. Uh, you, there, there is some awfully good ideas, but you know, part of it is so. I couldn't believe I was there. I mean, I'm I'm in the world yeah. famous 17th floor with a conference room and the whole bit. I, you wanted to, yeah. I wanted to soak that up. That was, uh, hey, Lauren's a fascinating guy, but yeah. after a while, I don't need more Bob Hope stories at dinner. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I I love to compare notes with him as much as anybody else, but eventually, my, you know, the same my Jack favorite. Benny anecdote plays itself. My favorite game with Lauren is. Uh, uh, is which Paul is he talking about? <laughs> is it Simon yeah. or McCartney? And so I'd literally play this game myself where I'd be with him and he'd go, you know, Paul called. And I'd go, okay, that that's that could go the other way. And uh, he's going to come by and he might bring his guitar. And I'd be like, that doesn't help. No, that yeah, doesn't get me out of it. And then he'd say, and he st- he's still, uh, still kind of angry at his partner. And I'm like, doesn't help. <laughs> still, you haven't had, you know, the, haven't had the qualifier yet. There. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it uh, doesn't really want to talk that much about the 60s, although he'll play that stuff still, but he wants to do the later stuff. Still can't do it. Yeah. I'm going to see him at the Hamptons. Still won't do it. And you know, you just, and I've, I think I've been through 45 different combination locks. It's like opening that box in the Da Vinci Code where it's like, no, this doesn't get me there. I still don't know. How much do you sort of like relive in the same way like Ernie Banks relives, you know, ball games at Wrigley Field uh, regarding SNL? I mean, you were there for a substantial amount of time. Every era of SNL is historic in its own way. I was a, there at a very fortuitous time because I was there with the, you know, Lovitz, uh, Dana Carvey, Kevin Nealon, uh, Jan Hooks. Uh, Nora Dunn. Know, Nora, Dun- Nora Dunn. Just great, great cast. But then uh, Mike Myers showed up while I was there. Things just Chris Rock showed up while I was there. Adam Sandler showed up while I was there. So it really was this golden time to be on Saturday Night Live. But I have to tell you, great memories, but also almost PTSD. Well, yeah, sometimes. a lot of nervous breakdowns, a lot of Machiavellian stabs in the back, a lot of disappointments, a lot of uh, how did this happen? Yeah. I used to wander down to 6A, which unbeknownst to me would later become my studio. At the time, it was Dave's studio. Wow, yeah. And I would sit behind, there was a cloth that they draped over 
Dave's desk, which ended up being right where my desk was for 16 years. And I would sit behind that desk and uh, try and write sometimes behind his desk on the late night, uh, you know, on the late night with David Letterman's studio. And also two of my moments of absolute fear were on camera and they were with you. One was that one of the first big things I did on TV was a sketch where you did a monologue about how people say I'm the nicest guy in the world, but I'm really not. It's just, you know, it's, uh, it's ridiculous. It's not true. And I'm tired of this. Tom Hanks is the nicest guy in the world. It's just not true. Now, if you'll excuse me a minute, and then you walk off and the camera follows you live and you, do you remember this? You yeah. perform all these miracles. Yeah, yes. yeah. You're, you're Christ-like. <laughs> you had the line, stay away from this horse, Mr. Hanks. He bites. And I pet yes! him and say, no, he's just a misunderstood creature. So I am waiting and this is live and you have no idea what it's like. I mean, you do, but I'm talking to to, to people listening to this podcast, the fear of you're a a punk kid. And at some point, Tom Hanks is going to come by at the opening of the show, which at the time is watched by, you know, a million, eight billion people, people, eight billion people (laughs) live. And Tom Hanks is going to come by. And my job was to stand there holding the horse and then my line was, you go, ah, look at that guy. And I go, oh, don't touch him, Mr. Hanks. That horse bites everyone. And you go, <laughs> nonsense. He's just a misunderstood creature, misunderstood creature. And you pet him. And I go, wow. So you're coming. And I just keep repeating my line. Don't. And of course, I'm doing the thing we all do when we're in our heads too much. Don't bite that horse, Hanks. No, don't Tom the Hanks. Wait, don't bite that. And while I'm trying to do it, do you know who the musical guest was that week? Of course you don't. Aerosmith? It was uh, a newly solo Keith Richards. With the, oh my God, with the expensive winos. Yeah, that's yes, right. Yes, and yeah. Keith Richards was at the, 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 was at the uh, Kraft's food yep. service table next to me right. wearing pixie boots. <laughs> And he chooses that time while you're walking towards me. You have about four interactions that you have to have before you get to me. And he goes, horses, right? Horses. And I'm just going like, what? And of course, I'd love to talk to Keith Richards, but not now. And he went, and he went, horses, when you think about it, they're the ones that really brought us through civilization <laughs> without horses. And I, I, it was everything I, he was explaining how man did it on literally on the backs of horses. And he thought that I was the guy who owned the horse. <laughs> and I almost said to him, shut the fuck up, Keith Richards. And your idea is bullshit. Tom Hanks is on his way and I've got shit to do. So I said my line. And the other one was the first five timers club sketch. Oh, that was a biggie. Yeah. I'm Sean and you come in the door and I'm supposed to put a robe on you. And I'll never forget you come in the door and all I have to do, you go, hello, Sean. And I go, Mr. Hanks is take a silk robe and put it on you first silk robe catches on, uh, and you can see yeah, it a little have, bit. This happens online, yeah, happens You on can see it, you can see it. I'm having a second, and it's just a millisecond, but for me, I saw my entire life flash before my eyes, because I thought, if I can't get this jacket off, I'm dead, I'm dead forever. But I get it off, and then I go to put it on you, and one of the sleeves Sleeves catches. was inside out, yeah, yeah. Got you remember yeah, this, yeah, and yeah, I'm, I, you've probably been angry about it ever since. No, no, I, I, I never saw it after it aired, so I was, I never, I never, never bothered to look at it. But you know, you, you, you are describing something that everybody 
goes through. I have worked with I've worked with the greatest actors and actresses in, in, in ever and everybody starts mumbling to themselves their lines over and over again and paces mm-hmm. around back and forth. Merrill, Paul Newman, they all every everybody who is great, you see them at some point just pace around in the corner of a soundstage going, We're gonna have to get out of here right now. We're going to have to get out of here right now. (laughs) We have to get out of here right. We have to get out. They all, when we're making the the post, and by the way, Mm -hmm. everybody is pitching themselves because of uh, Lady Lady Merrill, who couldn't be cooler in the grooviest Mm -hmm. way possible. Yeah. And uh, we have this, I don't know, we got some big, big harangue that we have to go at to and it's just it's just me and her and uh i was looking around for her and says anybody, anybody see meryl around you know, yo she's in the she's in the living room of the set you know we we weren't using so it had all this equipment and stuff and she's sitting on the couch um with her cheap three ring binder like from cvs drugs you know with the script in it and she's and i see her she's doing that thing and i go over and i finally said hey uh hey meryl yeah i said uh you want to you want to just run the scene run the dialogue i said can we please run this dialogue so it's it's you know everybody thinks that there's some high level of uh, no at the end of the day man you just got to you've just got to figure out how to do it somehow and 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 tell the truth everybody goes yeah. everybody yeah. does it the other thing about backstage all the scenes backstage this was this is one of the, the miracles that that why Lauren is a genius. Anytime there's a scene backstage, it started then. There's always uh, some animal, uh, a Vegas showgirl, and an Elvis lookalike. Yes. You know, they're not part of the sketch. <laughs> they're just populating what backstage yes. at a big show big show looks like. And I'm just going back and say, if you see that, you say, uh, but what 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 sketch has an Elvis lookalike in it? You start waiting at waiting for it for the rest of the show, and it's just for that it's just for that one one little bit. That's I always wanted to be in that show business. I didn't want to be in sterile show business. I always wanted to be in the show business where there's someone dressed as an alien backstage, someone dressed as a showgirl. And I love it when someone's in a costume and they lose their temper backstage because <laughs> right, yeah. I've seen it happen many times where someone's dressed as a bear and they lose it about at someone else backstage and they're yelling at them wearing a costume that completely invalidates their dignity. When, when, when Peter Scolari and I were doing Bosom Buddies, we were the only two guys on the show, and we were on stage 25 at Paramount Studios. The the, the women were all on the other side. They had dressing They had new dressing rooms. Mm-hmm. We had the old dressing rooms that were closest to the makeup, uh, hair and makeup room. And so we would be leaning in each other's little door, and I would have high heels, pantyhose, you know, a wig on, lip mm-hmm. gloss, not the dress. We'd just be there. And Peter would be uh, at uh, at his desk with a robe on, and he's got his puffy slippers, and he's got his girdle and all that. And we'd be talking about how hard it is. You know, look, I'm just trying to raise a family. And, I, you know, my the, the woman in my life, we're, you know, we have these discussions about where we think we are. It was, uh, it was couldn't have been a more incongruous conversation. That yes, we yes, having. yes. Deep, you know, Kierkegaard once said about the artistic condition. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Let me adjust my hose for yeah. a second. And, uh, 
Well, I want to make sure I, I, I feel guilty about keeping you so long. You're a, you're, you're Tom Hanks. Oh my God. You know what? Look quick. Let's hurry up and end so we can go meet somewhere in coffee and do this for another two hours. I heard that you go for walks with uh, some of our good friends on Fridays. Yes, I do. do. And I, when I found out from one of my good friends, I want to say, can you not give me a call? Can I not join this walk around the neighborhood? I don't feel, and this is me being completely honest, I don't have the status to contact Tom Hanks and say we're going for a walk. Oh, I think uh, one of Sona, back me up. Don't I perpetually feel? <laughs> nope. No? Nope. He doesn't have it. Yeah. <laughs> no. You I mean, asked Sona. You Sona, and I, I were once do- talking about the latest book, <laughs> the, the Wordy Shipmates by Sarah Val, because you and yeah, I, yeah. We, we share a lot of the stuff. Yes. And yes. you were telling me, you said, I was sitting at the coffee place, which I know, and you were sitting there reading Sarah Val's new book. And I can only mm-hmm. think, I'll meet you there. We'll, we'll just sit there and read it together and we'll have coffee and say, have you read this thing on page 77? This is amazing. All right. Uh, you shouldn't put that out there. I would love to uh, to take a walk with you and some of these funny people who take a walk. Oh, socially distanced Socially walk. distanced with the mat. By the socially way, how, how little is being asked of us, honestly? What is, yeah, that's, know, a, that's the know. least you can do. Literally, wear a mask and wash wear your hands. Mask. That is, in fact, the least you can do. Right. Just that right. little, just that little bit, you know? Don't infringe on my right to not do that. <laughs> all in, all. <laughs> that's my goddamn right! Do not do that. I believe it is the 19th article of the uh, Constitution that allows me not to do stuff. Yeah. I do not have to have an FM band on my radio. I do not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know what? This this has been a pure delight. Uh, I want to say you've been... I think I said this to you once and you laughed and I don't know why, but I said, I don't know why you're so nice to me, but you've been <laughs> incredibly kind to me and you are uh, just a, a delightful man and uh, oh. a, a great human being. I really mean that. Well, and I just, I love, uh, I loved talking to you today. I, I, I heard this did. story about you that made me laugh, even though you weren't there, because somebody else told it about me. So you were, you were growing up and you were essentially lace curtain Irish Boston, red-haired, small Mm -hmm. house, big family, big Catholic family, a lot of kids. And at some point, somebody threw, it was in the kitchen, and and threw a potato. My mother, we'll see the... (laughs) My mother, Marty Short loves this story, but my mother, it was, story the reason this, the story works, the story works because my mom, her lifelong mission is that we would not be cheap Irish. We would be lace curtain, respectable Irish. And yeah. so she would always say, we're not, the, you know, the O'Leary's are cheap Irish and the O'Malley's are cheap Irish. Not and the O'Brien's. But, but the O'Brien's, we, and she would speak like, Mar- she spoke like Margaret Dumont from the Marx Brothers movies. Well, she would say, we are lace curtain Irish. So, and she's also, uh, she's got a real job. She's working as a lawyer and she's on the phone and she's talking to a client when all hell breaks loose and all six kids are fighting and making noise in the kitchen. And she wants us to be quiet, but she can't, she can't yell at us because that would betray to this client that we're lace, that we're not lace curtain Irish, that we're cheap Irish. So she looks for the nearest thing to get our attention. And she picks up a potato, which is on the counter. And she goes to toss it lightly into the middle of the room. But because she's upset and angry, she throws it too hard. We duck. It smashes through the kitchen window, sails out. And the neighbors 
are here yelling and then a potato goes smashing through the window and we were mud. It was over in our neighborhood. We were, no one ever respected us again. She couldn't throw a shillelagh. It had to be. She, a, I know, I know. She might as well it have thrown a, lepre, a leprechaun. It couldn't be a pint glass of stout. It had to be a, it had to be a, see, because when I heard that story, I just thought, okay, if, if, if there is a God of comedy timing, I, I have a written down address of this guy I want to go talk to named Conan O'Brien. I'm, I'm in a section of I'm in a section of Boston I'm not familiar with. Here's the house address. I can't really see the numbers. I say I know he's Irish. He comes from a big Catholic family. O'Brien's. It's got oh this looks like an Irish neighborhood. I which one? I wonder which house is Conan's. Oh, I think it's the one with the potato that just came. Crash. Crash. <laughs> I think that's yeah. it. Hey Conan, I'm Tom. Uh, let you want to you want to read some Sarah Vowell together? We'll. Uh... I would, but this is 1977, and you're never going to amount to anything, Tom Hanks. Uh, let me make sure that I mention again: Greyhound is fantastic, and we we gave all the information up top oh, great. on yeah. uh, on how you can watch it. But it is uh, a just a delightful, harrowing tale. You know, what's funny is that uh, people in just describe this because people don't know this, but when you're in show business and they want you to see a movie, they burn your name in giant <laughs> Oh, did it say Conan O'Brien on it? It said Conan O'Brien in massive. Now, I'm okay with that because I have a big ego, but at the end, you do this very nice tribute to the people that, uh, just a text about the people, the number of ships that were lost in the North yeah, Atlantic. Yeah. And, and, and uh, it's underneath my giant name, <laughs> this tribute to true heroes in World War II. I promise you. And then I, I turned to my son and I said, wouldn't it be kind of funny if when they sent this movie out for streaming, as great as it is, if it went out the Conan O'Brien version, so it had my name on it. And my son said, no, dad, that wouldn't be funny. It's a really good movie. <laughs> Well, hey, this has been great to talk to you. I'll do it anytime. And let's let's see each other as soon as possible. That goes yeah, for everybody. And, Adam and, and Aaron and Joanna and Sona and Jen. <laughs> Whitney Tancred is one of my crack team of show business professionals, invaluable of service in every way, shape, and form. It's a credit to your star power that I've never seen most of these people before. This was <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, we don't have that many people. I think we have uh Many interlopers. I am um, but a puppet and they are my masters. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, Tom, uh, my best to you and my absolute best to uh, to the lovely Rita. And um, I hope uh, I come across you again. But God bless you for doing this. And I also do want to mention uh, your, your book of short stories. Uh, I pick through that often and I'm really impressed. Oh, great. I'm very oh. impressed with that book. Uh, uncommon type. Uncommon so type. I'm just I'm just putting a plug out there for uncommon type because uh, it was very well reviewed. It did well, and it's out there and get it. And they're just really terrific short stories. I will I will I will confess that there were times I would go into go into bookstores specifically to find that my disc the copies of my book severely discounted <laughs> on the lower shelves, and I would take mm -hmm. however many copies they had and move some bestseller down to the lower shelf and put mine, <laughs> mine back up. You know, it was like yeah. number three, yeah. something like that. Sure. And if I, sure. if I could rip off that discount sticker, I would do that without having yeah. any damage done. Yeah. Well, thanks very yeah. much. Thanks so much. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, sir, I salute you. Peace and, and love. Peace and love, says Ringo. Peace and love. Oh, Peace. Love very much. <laughs> Peace and oh, love. Peace and love. We made two, you know. One was black and white. <laughs> Thanks, guys. See you soon. Hey, thank you, Tom. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Okay, Conan O'Brien here, and uh, Conan and the Chill Chums. Does that have a Z in it? Oh, man. Oh, it doesn't so far, but now it's feeling like it should. Does it, though? Why not go all the way? Go all the way with... You know what? I like it that this is a, this is a summer version of the show. I want you to picture me now in sort of board shorts <laughs> and like a tank top. Oh. A lot of white skin. What? Uh, <laughs> when I picture it, it's it's very long, very white limbs. Yeah, you're wearing a wife beater, but that's white, yet somehow darker than the rest of the body. <laughs> Sona, in my defense, I think you're forgetting my blotchy freckles <laughs> and the weird red color I get when exposed either even to indirect sunlight for eight seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys remember there was a, a G.I. Joe doll in the 80s that when you put it in the sun, it would change colors really quickly? That's Oh, yeah. Zartan. Yeah. yeah, Zartan. Yeah, he died of skin cancer. He a, <laughs> he's the only G.I. Joe to die of melanoma. <laughs> oh, my God. That was his code name. That's cool. Did you have G.I. Joes? I still do. Okay. Oh, All okay. Right. <laughs> you said that like <laughs> it was cool. Yeah. I was admitting a fault. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had a G.I. Joe. I love G.I. Joe. And in the 70s, this would be like 1973 or 74, they had a G.I. Joe who was African-American and he had a beard and that's the G.I. Joe I wanted. I thought he was the coolest G.I. Joe and he had a real beard, meaning it wasn't painted on, it had little fuzz. So I had this G.I. Joe, I loved him, and then I came up with a name for him, Dovin, D-O-V-E-N. Dovin? What? Yeah, I wanted a name that no one had ever heard of before, so I couldn't call him Greg or Steve or Joe or, I, yes, that's him. <laughs> that was my, that's my G.I. Joe. I'm putting him up on the Zoom. <laughs> oh yeah, God. that's the G.I. Joe I got. That's Dovin. That's Dovin. Oh, Wow. That's what I got. Here's where things get kind of bad. I had Dovin for a while and I really loved, I really loved my G.I. Joe. And then after a while, I was like, uh, I think I would have had him like a year. I was like, maybe I could lose the beard. And because it was fuzz, I went up and I got, a, I wasn't shaving yet, but I got my dad's shaving kit oh, no. and I shaved off Dovin's beard. Oh, But- Pieces of plastic came with it. Oh, so it's all it's all screwed up. It looked like he had a really bad skin condition. Oh, Dovin! I know, and I felt so bad. I was like, Dovin, what have I done to you? Oh. Like little chunks of his skin came out, and it looked like was it was there a fire? Is this smallpox? What happened? Um, yeah, I felt bad about that. Aww. We'll put a picture of Dovin up on the. Team Coco Social. Those G.I. Joes, look them up, though. The beard was strange. Yeah. They really touted bristly. how it would have been better if they had painted the beard on, because I don't know what they stuck into these G.I. Joes' faces, but it was very strange. And the G.I. Joes themselves don't look happy about it. Yeah, and they've all got mighty thick beards. Well, these are real men. These are the Sam Elliott's of action figures. Yeah, minus the... Penis. Sorry? Oh, come on. Well, there's no penis there. There's just, it's weird. They have very thick beards and they have no genitalia, which is counterintuitive. It's weird. What, what was going on with you and Dovin? Yeah. Nothing. I liked, I, I loved my G.I. Joe. I really liked my G.I. Joe and I was. You seem pretty familiar with his anatomy. Yeah. You have to undress them at some point. You do. You have to. Well, you do to change their clothes every night and bathe them. <laughs> what? And then hold them close to your chest. Oh, Dovin. Dovin, sweet Dovin. 
It was a forbidden love, a love between a man and his G.I. Joe. Where's Dovin today? Oh, I don't know that he could have survived once I messed up his face, which I feel bad about. Oh. Dovin. You guys got any big summer plans? No. Well, <laughs> here's the problem. There's COVID, right? What? And uh, so that means there's no travel right now. Then the other thing is I do like to go up the coast sometimes and go to the beach. But guess what our beach has now? COVID. No, sharks. What else? Maybe have, you know, it has great white sharks. What? So yeah, there's great white sharks uh, in the waters up near Santa Barbara. And if you go up there to go swimming, those are the really good beaches are. For real? Yeah. Have you seen the sharks? Yes, I have. The juveniles. Yeah, I've seen them. Mm. The juveniles? I've been in the water when a fin has gone by. Shut really? up. And it, yeah, and it was not, it was, a, I mean, it was, a, it was a juvenile, so I don't think they mean much harm. And I, so I saw the, the juvenile and I was just thrashing. And I was also wearing a bathing suit uh, made of Parma ham. <laughs> and oh God. Uh, it's weird he keeps saying juvenile yeah it is weird isn't that it's just, that's what they call them they call them juveniles sharks. Oh, okay no, but you're stressing it like i'm a shark expert yeah well i hate to, to say this i hate to to brag but i did run into a shark expert who was on the beach watching the sharks mm, cool brag and <laughs> hold on i didn't get there yet and he started explaining to me why they're moving in and he started explaining to me the science of the sharks and he said these are juveniles and i said ah young ones eh and he went we call them juveniles and so i thought i'm going to start calling them juveniles but then you had to shame me for calling them juveniles <laughs> but you're not a shark expert aren't i now because i talked to a shark expert oh yeah that's how it works so shark expertise is viral i'm just telling you i talked to him for 6 minutes he told me some stuff about sharks the young ones are called juveniles and they're in the waters. I mean, I don't fear for my own safety. Most of my work is recorded. I think I would get a nice bump, you know, in attention. Oh, yeah. Right, to be attacked by a shark. Yeah. I think it'd be a lot of people saying, hey, I hear before he got eaten, he made some pretty good podcasts. Let's check him out. I, don't, I think we, everyone here would profit. It would be great for us. Even just a shark bite. <laughs> it would be great. Yes. No, even, no, not, not, not you, you know, getting eaten, but like a shark bite would be really cool. That would totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Could you do that? Get your rep. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. Yeah. Just try to get bitten by a shark. Yeah. Could you try that? I don't. Here's the thing. I don't want to lose a limb. Uh, if it's a juvenile, it's probably not going to take a limb. I'm sorry. What's a juvenile? It's a uh, young shark. Oh, cool. That's so cool that you know that. I think you do want to lose a limb. I don't want to lose a limb. First of all, my limbs are very long. So if a shark tried to eat one of my limbs, it would be like someone trying to eat a whole bowl of fusilli pasta with one slurp. <laughs> <laughs> the shark would be like eating the leg and then it would be like, oh, I got to keep going. I got to keep going. And then he would look around nervously like you do in an Italian restaurant when <laughs> you can't cut the pasta. You got to just keep going. Yeah, it's lady without the tramp. Exactly. Yeah. And the shark would keep slurping and slurping and slurping and there'd be more long white leg and more and more and more and a waiter would come over and say can I help you sir and the juvenile would go like I think I'm fine slurp <laughs> slurp okay all right no. just a shark well, bite okay we did it okay well no one needs to hear me describe at length a juvenile shark uh, eating up one of my legs like fusilli pasta. That's an image that we've all heard way too often. So that's it. Uh, bye. We'll see you next week. Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend with Sonam Obsessian and Conan O'Brien as himself. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco and Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Earwolf. 
Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. The show is engineered by Will Beckton. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review featured on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf.